So Jesus is the lover of sinners. You know, we, we have been going through various parables. Today is absolutely no different. We are going to the parable find in Luke chapter 15, Luke 15, and it says the following. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. Then it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. This is him meaning Jesus, right? And the Pharisees and scribes did what? Complain. I know that that's not common in the church here in Tallahassee, but the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining. They're saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Then you have verse 3 where it says, so he spoke this parable to them saying, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And, I skipped too quickly, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Verse 6, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Verse 7, and say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over then over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Verse 8. Now he's giving another parable, same example. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Verse 9. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and saying what? Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Verse 10, likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so here is the parable, 10 verses. I know in the past there's only been one or two parables that I've shared with you. Sorry, one or two verses. Here is two parables, 10 verses, quite a bit, but here's what's happening. What's happening is that the Pharisees, the scribes, were having issues with Jesus because he's rubbing shoulders, he's hanging out, and he is mingling with people who are obviously sinners in their eyes, and they have a struggle with him. Ooh, how dare him? And they're complaining, and they're struggling because they just don't understand it. And so here's what they said in verse 15, and the Pharisees, scribes, complain, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Well, praise God. Because he came to save the lost. He didn't came to save those who did not need finding. He came to search for those who are in need of a Savior. And who more needs a Savior than those who are sinners? I mean, if you're a saint, you don't need to be here. I mean, this is what he was doing. And so the scribes who are... And the Pharisees, they take pride in everything that they read in the scriptures. They quote the scriptures. They have them memorized and all of that. But they forgot all about the things that were found in the scriptures. For example, David, who had fallen into sin, who had done atrocities, horrible things. Here's what he says in Psalms 119, verse 176. It says, I have gone astray like a what? Like a lost sheep, right? Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. And then, of course, you have Micah, which is also our scripture reading for today. And he is describing this amazing God. I don't get it. 
You are such an amazing God. I've done all of these things. In Psalms 103, it says that you don't even give us the punishments we deserve. And so here's Micah saying, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in what? He delights in mercy. I mean, this is an amazing God. A loving God. And so the the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they knew the scriptures. And yet, when they saw Jesus mingling with sinners, when he saw that he wasn't angry at them, when he said that he was sort of passing over their transgressions, (gasps) how dare he? Don't you know of the mighty God that we serve? He loves us so much that he gave his son for you and for me. So when Jesus knows that they're complaining, he goes to them and he tries to tell them a story that they can relate to. He says to them on Luke 15 verse 4, it says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses just one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until what? Does he just give up? Does he go home, take a nap, relax? No, no. You search and you search day and night. You're talking about endurance now. I mean, you're out there going, searching and looking for that which was lost. He's trying to appeal to them. He's trying to appeal to them because they knew what he was talking about. You see, having sheep back in the day, this is... That's your, that's your money. That's your wealth. This is where you get some of your clothing. This is where you get, you know, uh, your, your food and your meats and you sell them and you do all kinds of things. I mean, sheep is, is a great thing. And you care for them. And you're looking out for them. But it became more than that to the shepherds. And so I put it to you this way. What if you lost one of your children? I, I love joking with my kids all of the time. You know, we run around the house, we fight, we, we, we play fight, we do whatever. Sometimes one of them falls down, gets her dad. You know, Sophia got her, Ariana got her. It's okay, I got two spare ones. And so I like saying that jokingly. Ah, it's okay, I got two extra ones. No worries, no big deal. But it is a big deal. Seriously, what if it was one of your children that got lost? Wouldn't you say, honey, here, stay with the other two, and you will go and search for that one? Or would you just say, it's okay, I got two spare ones, no big deal. This is serious. This is serious. So here you have this idea uh, that Jesus is trying to relate to them, telling them the story of the sheep and the shepherds. If you lose one, wouldn't you leave the 99 to go and search for the one and search and search and search and search until what? Until you have found it. Ezekiel 34, 12, it says, As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day, he is among the scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. On a cloudy and dark day. Understand this. This is a prophecy here, an exclamation of God in Ezekiel. Don't you know that God would have sent his son to die for just one of you? I I know that we say that, but do you really understand that? I will gladly give up my own life for any one of my kids. I will gladly do that. Can you really understand how valuable you 
are to Christ. How valuable you are to God the Father. For just one, I would do this. Doesn't matter if it's cloudy and dark. Doesn't matter what it is. You know, Patrick and I are leaving this week. We're going to go do a, a, a crazy, retarded, special 100-mile race in the mountains of Vermont. Yes, I say retarded, Patrick. It's okay. And, and, and you know, we're going to go do this thing that is just crazy. It really is. You have to be a special kind of person to want to subject yourself to this. But he's sending me weather updates. And he's sending me how, look, it's, it's going to be 40s. It's going to be 30s. Okay, it's actually 58 today. And so we may rain. It may be hot. It may be cold. So you may have to be doing this throughout the entire time. And, and you know, you, you sort of, you know, you, you prepare for that. And we know what we're packing and we're going to have like a little station to go refill our drinks and grab our stuff and keep on going, etc. But we have a limited time so we can't stay there for too long. But we're sort of prepping. But you, we may go through some things. Don't you know that the shepherd, without preparation, no, you are lost, I'm there. I mean, how long will you wait and prepare and pack up and get ready to go look for your child that is lost? Wouldn't you simply just go? And that is what the shepherd is doing. Whether it's dark and ugly, it doesn't matter. For one lost soul, he will have done that. And search and search and search until he has found it. And so you go out there and suddenly you hear the cries of your sheep. You hear the cries of your children. And what do you do? You get excited. Yes, yes, I'm coming, I'm coming. Hang on. You grab them. You see them. They're all beat up. They're all bruised. You grab them. You hold them against your bosom. And you say, it's okay. I'm here. I'm right now. I'll keep you warm. I'll take you under my hands. Come on. And you carry them and you bring them back. And what is it that you do? What is it that you do? You come back home and just as the parable says, he called his friends, he called his neighbors, and they're excited because the lost sheep has been found. Picture if it was your child. You know, I come home all of the time. I make it a point to kiss my kids. Sometimes I'm here too late at night in meetings and everything else. I mean, church work is really messing up my golf game because it has me running all over the place. But, you know, it, it's so in meetings and stuff. But even when I come late at night, I still make it a point to go into the room and kiss my children. I will say I only kiss two out of the three because the third one just freaks out every time I kiss it. <laughs> And start screaming and kicking. So to not give the child a heart attack, I, I've just from a distance now, and don't give her a hug and a kiss anymore because it's been one night too many with heart attacks. But, but, but the point is, I make it a point to come home and just, just give him some love. How much more would it be if that child was lost? And I'm coming back, honey, I found him. Honey, I found her. And you're coming back and everybody, yes! And you're celebrating and you are excited because the person has been found. Do you see now what today, Linda, where are you? Linda, what you did today, do you see now where there's rejoicing in heaven? Because it, when one, just one, gives their life to Christ, there's a party, there's a celebration. It is not like, honey, I'm home. Oh, hey. No, no, no. Honey, I am home. Woo! Yes. All right, you are here. There is a party. Christ's object lesson, page 189. It says... It was taught by the Jews that before God's love is extended to the sinner, he must first repent in their view. Repentance is a work by which men earn the favor of heaven. And it was this thought that led the Pharisees to exclaim in astonishment and anger, This man receiveth sinners. According to their ideas, he should permit none to approach him but those who had repented. 
But in the parable of the lost sheep, Christ teaches that salvation does not come through our seeking after God, but through God's seeking after us. There is none that understandeth and none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, Romans 3, 11 through 12. We do not repent in order that God may love us, but he reveals his love, his love in order that we may repent. And so, that is a very poor understanding. When God says, come as you are, you come as you are. We had a pastor's meeting this week, um, and there was a video. The North American Division did a little video about key churches. There was an individual who had a church. He couldn't get it to grow. He was going around trying to find out what churches were thriving. And Perry, the Perry Church, was one of the churches that was showcased in this video. The Perry Church is the talk of all of the churches in North America because of the love and how you are when you are there. We have one of our deaconesses who's struggling with cigarettes. She's down to two cigarettes a day from two or three packs that she was doing before. We're working with her. We're trying to help her. And let me tell you this. This is something that many people, you have her doing this. We're working through some of the things. Let me tell you this. I'll take a smoker over half of you with your gossiping tongue. Because you see, there are, there, there's only one or two or three verses that talk about your body being the temple. And there's like 30 that talk about your tongue and how evil the tongue is. And so what happens is this. When I went with my children over a year ago to preach there as a guest speaker before I even became one of my churches, my, one of my daughters was like, Daddy, this is a very nice church. You could feel it. Wouldn't it be cool if this were your church? And that's what my child said. Granted, about two months later, she must have been a prophet because then they gave me that, that, that church as well. But this is a church where many people who have gone saying, you just feel the warmth. People from this church want to say, you, oh, you in Perry next week? Oh, I'm so jealous. And they say that there is something about a church that really is willing to welcome sinners. We don't need the perfect ones. You come in as you are, and Christ works in you and through you, and then transformation takes place. But we need to stop with this Pharisaic mindset. Why are you letting people come into your church like that? Do they need to repent before they come? Or do they come, and then when they receive the love of God, repentance happens? Now, because the closer you draw to the Savior, the more aware you are of the filth that is within you. If I compare myself to you, then yes, of course I'm better than you, not you, but yes, definitely you. But then when I compare myself to God, oh, how wretched and sinful I am. Lord, I am not worthy. And you are not, but because of the blood of the Lamb that was willing to trade His life for you and me. Our worth has been gifted to us. Not earned by us. Luke 15, 7. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Christ's Object Lessons 189, it says, You Pharisees, said Christ, regard yourselves as the favorites of heaven. You think yourself secure in your own righteousness. Know then that if you need no repentance, my mission is not to you. These poor souls who feel their poverty and sinfulness are the very ones whom I have come to rescue. Angels of heaven are interested in the lost ones whom you despise. 
You complain and sneer when one of these souls joins himself to me, but know that angels rejoice and the song of triumph rings through the courts above. Come on now. See, the rabbis were thinking that there's joy in heaven and rejoicing when one of the sinners gets smite by God off with their heads when I grew up in the church oh repent or burn they literally try to scare the heck out of you and that's why they push fear and fear and fear misunderstanding that it is not fear that attracts people to God but it is the love of God that is so amazing that you can't help but to surrender to that love and have your cold hearted heart turn into a soft warm heart of flesh Christ's Object Lessons 190, it says, When one who has wandered far in sin seeks to return to God, he will encounter criticism and distrust. There are those who will doubt whether his repentance is genuine or will whisper, he has no stability. I do not believe that he will hold out. These persons are doing the work, not the work of God, but the work of whom? Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren, through their criticisms, the wicked ones hope to discourage that soul and to drive him still further from hope and from God. Let the repentant sinner contemplate the rejoicing in heaven over the return of the one that was lost. Let him rest in the love of God and in no case be disheartened by the scorn and suspicions of the Pharisees. And so I am telling you this right now. This is one of the biggest challenges in the church. As I have gone visit members, right now we have close to 300 members in the book. We get over 150 here, show up on Sabbath, and we're saying, Whoa, the church was filled. What happened to the other 150? As I try to go visit people, there are folks who says, no, pastor, we don't even want to see you. And then there's other ones that I visited, well, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so did this to me, said this to me. Can you imagine that they treated me in this way? And anywhere between racism, ageism, sexism, or even just because of diet. Well, yeah, you're a vegetarian, but you're not fully vegan, so that's a problem. You're going to burn. Like, really? And we're somehow hurting one another for all of these things? So here's the thing. Number one, if you are struggling, do not let the brethren be the one to discourage you. If you're the one that is beating people up, stop doing the work of the devil. You've heard me say this plenty of times, and every time I get a chance, I will say it. The Bible says that Jesus is the judge. The Bible says that Jesus is the advocate. The Bible says that Jesus is the true witness, and the Bible says that the devil is the accuser. Nowhere in there is any of those four positions our job. So isn't it time? And so I'm giving it to you from Scripture and giving it to you from, from Christ's object lessons. I don't know how many other ways to tell you That it is time. It is time. Because you see, it is the lost sheep exactly from whom Jesus died. It is not about the ones that are okay. It is all about the lost sheep. Isaiah 53, 5, it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. Not that he was wounded because we were okay and perfect saints, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are what? We are healed. 
1 John 3, 1, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Do you understand that? When we adopted my daughter, Sophia, and she got her last name of Suarez, you should have seen her light up and be so happy. Do you know what it is that you were lost, but now you were found? Do you know what it is to be a kid like me, that your own family member used to call you Hijo del Diablo, Child of the Devil, but you know that there's such a love and mercy in God that now I shall be called the child of God. Do you understand that? John 17, 18, it says, As I, you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Christ came out here to seek the lost. Christ is sending you also to go and seek the lost, not to be appalled by them, distracted by them, and upset because the lost are coming to church. Praise God. Be happy. If you see somebody who is still not perfect, just pray for them. Don't talk about them. If you're going to talk about them, do it on your knees and take it up to the Lord because the Lord is not finished with any of us and we all fall short of the glory of God. Now, what does that mean? That we're just going to condone sin, sinfulness? No, it just simply means that we're going to love the sinners. After all, God loves sinners, hates sin. We hate sinners and we love the sin. Come on now. Who you are when no one is watching. It's truly who you are. Colossians 1.24 says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Christ's Object Lesson, page 191. It says, How many of the wandering ones have you, talking to you now, sought for and brought back to the fold when you turn from those who seem unpromising and unattractive do you realize that you are neglecting the souls for whom Christ is seeking at the very time when you turn from them they may be in the greatest need of your compassion in every assembly for worship there are souls longing for rest and peace they may appear to be living careless lives but they are not insensible to the influence of the holy spirit many among them might be one for christ and so here's the whole thing if the lost sheep are not brought back into the fold if they're not brought back they will perish Page 191 continues, angels pity these wandering ones. Angels weep while human eyes are dry and the hearts are closed to pity. Isn't it time that you have compassion for the lost soul? Good for you that you know what's right in accordance to the scriptures. If you see somebody who's not working, walking in accordance to, to, the, to the truth of scriptures, it's because there is no light in them. Therefore, it's a time to scoff at them or it's a time to have compassion for them and love them because you obviously see what the need is. The second part of the parable goes to a different twist here in Luke 15, 8, where it says, Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light up a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. You see, most of the houses back in the day, they were very dark. They were composed of one room, had very little to no windows for protection. And so even during the daylight, you needed to light up a candle and you needed to search. And so she lost it in the house. She was searching for it. She was looking and it was there. And so also understand this, that woman, when Jesus is mentioning the silver coin, still to this day in many parts overseas, women are like possessions. 
When I went to Egypt back in 2010, just nine years ago, uh, we had to pair up the people that went, males with females, and, and sort of stay close together because the men over there would literally go up to a woman that's walking, check her out, look at, almost like you're checking a car to buy it, and you kick the tires and open the hood. And, you know, when we were there, we were with a whole bunch of seminarians male and female pastors in training, and and there was a a, a friend of mine that was with me, and um, they offered me 200 camels for her. Somebody else offered like 30 chickens, and they were offering all kinds of things. They were lowballing when they did the 30 chickens. The 200 camels was pretty good, you know. Uh, uh, I almost consider it, but I, you know, it wasn't mine to sell. But, uh, but that, that's, I mean, they, they treat him that way. So when the woman is married off, I'll go to the father, or whoever is responsible for her and purchase her. The only thing that they take with them is silver coins, a form of coinage or value that they pass on to their daughter. And their daughters will take it with them whenever they're married off. This is the only thing that they have. So it wasn't just like when you lose a penny or a couple of quarters. This was the one thing, the only thing, because they owe nothing except that, that is passed down from mother to daughter and so on. This is something precious. So of course, when she lost the one coin, she would search everything, dug through everything. I mean, very intently. I don't know if you've ever had that. If you ever lost something that you're just searching and searching and searching and searching. But here's what it is in verse 9. And when she found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. These two parables are saying very similar things, but they also have different classes. You see, the lost sheep knows that the sheep is lost. I mean, you know, going with the fold, and the son is like, where's everybody? They're looking around. They know that they're lost. Everything looks strange. They don't know how to find their way, and they can only be found if the shepherd goes and search for them. That is representative of everybody outside of the church. Everybody that's out there, you are here today. You are already way ahead of the lost sheep. Praise God that you're here today. But everybody else out there would not be able to find their way home unless the shepherd goes and gets them. Whereas, however, the lost coin has no idea that it is lost. It is in the home. It is inside. It knows exactly where it is. And even though, you know, I'm here. I'm in the house. This looks familiar. It's okay. And has no idea that it is lost. That is representative of you here in the church. You show up. You stand up when it's time to stand up. You sit down when it's time to sit down. You kneel when it's time to kneel. You may even give tithes and offerings and sing the songs and pray the prayers. But you have no idea that you are lost. How many of us have that? And yet we don't seem to take to it the way that we are supposed to. There's a lot to this parable. So I share a couple of more quotes with you. 194 of Christ's Object Lessons. This parable has a lesson to families as well. In the household there is often great carelessness concerning the souls of his members. Among their number may be one who is strange from God. But how little anxiety is felt, lest in the family relationship there be lost one of God's entrusted gifts. I mean, do you understand this? I mean... I move heaven and earth if one of my kids doesn't come home at night. Where are they? Where are they going? I'm going to go find them. But yet, while they're in the home, there might be some neglect going on, and we're not even showing them the ways of God. 
Here in the church, I, give, I, I go above and beyond for sinners when we do an evangelistic series and they come, oh, hello, guests. And it's like, I don't know, I think the elder asked earlier if there were any guests here. You watch the church members like flack on you and it's like, hey, how are you? And it's good to see you. And yet we treat our regular members probably not with the same attention and love. Something is not right when there's such disconnect. Anyhow, I will... Read the next one, page 195. If there is in the family one child who is unconscious of his sinful state, parents should not rest. Let the candle be lighted. Search the word of God and by its light let everything in the home be diligently examined to see why the child is lost. Let parents search their own hearts, examine their habits and practices. Children are the heritage of the Lord and we are answerable to him for our management of his property. You know, one of the biggest deterrents to our children is you, the parents. You go home, you get in the car, and you critique and gossip about everybody and anybody in the church. Church was too long. Sermon was too long. Prayer was bad. Singing was horrible. This is whatever. And you, you see what sister so-and-so was wearing? <gasps> yeah, tell me about it. Do you notice this one? And you have all of these conversations about how evil church is, and then you wonder why your children leave when they're old enough to get out. Because why should they subject themselves to all of the suffering that apparently you are subjecting yourself to? Again, three Bible texts in Scripture that talk about jewelry in a modest way. They don't even say, don't wear jewelry. It says, be modest in your gold and pearls. And yet, over 30 about gossip. And God forbid that I, that I get a, the nose ring I've been wanting to get. No, I'm kidding. I don't want a nose ring. Uh, I got allergies. That would hurt. But, but you understand what I mean? Like, like, it is amazing how, how we just do that. And then we wonder why. So check your home. Examine yourselves. And here's another one. Continue 195. There are fathers and mothers who long to labor in some foreign mission field. There are many who are active in Christian work outside the home, while their own children are strangers to the Savior and His love. The work of winning their children for Christ, many parents trust to the minister or the Sabbath school teacher. But in doing this, they are neglecting their own God-given responsibility. The education and training of their children to be Christians is the highest service that parents can render to God. It is a work that demands patient labor, a lifelong diligent and persevering effort. By a neglect of this trust, we prove ourselves unfaithful stewards. No excuse for such neglect will be accepted by God. Come on now. Yeah. You can't say amen. Say out. First portion of Isaiah 8.18. It says, Here I am and the children whom the Lord has given me. Can we all say that? You don't know how many people, you know, I share stories with you from time to time. When I went to Kenya, when I went to Israel, when I went to Jordan, when I went to Egypt, when I went to, uh, you know, various places. And it's like, ooh, we got to do a trip. We got to do whatever. Really? I can't even get you to show up for a work be here. And you want to go with me all the way to Africa somewhere to do something? I mean, come on. Why not look and take care of all this, especially within the home of your children. I mean, here's the whole thing. There are lost pieces everywhere we turn. It could be here in the church. Understand, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. And why is it that we so easily don't even blink twice whenever a church member is down, whenever a neighbor is struggling, whenever a co-worker has an issue? Don't you realize that they're all lost coins and you have an opportunity to search for them, care for them, love them, look out for them, and share the love of God? 
Understand that if we have the love of Christ in our hearts, we will share that love with others. And if we have a tough time doing that, it's because we don't do this. I mean, do you see the value on the human soul? Do you really value people? Do you see everybody as a lost child? Do you know what it is to be hopeless and in need of a Savior? I mean, could you imagine where their life is like? I don't ever remember your life, but I remember mine. There was a void that was there that I couldn't fill. Finally, when it was filled, it was like, wow, I realized what I was missing all along. I mean, do you know the words of Jesus when he's on the cross and he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama which means, my God, my God, why has you forsaken me? Why? Because he had taken on all of the sins, all of the suffering, everything that people are going through. And if people are sinners and they are trapped by their sins, they're addicted to their sins, if they're ensnared by it, if they're entangled by it, if they can't get over it, don't look at it and say, ha, you're so weak, I dealt with that just fine. Sure, two cigarettes a day, why not just stop cold turkey? I've done that. And so suddenly we are judging in such a way. Don't you see where they are? Don't you see how they feel like they've been forsaken? Who will go before us, says the Lord on Isaiah 6.8? Here I am, Lord, send me. If you are in communion with Christ, you will feel for others the same deep love that the Lord felt for you. I don't know about you guys. I may be the only sinner in this church. But I think of all of the things that God looked over for me. The things that that he took care of for me. The places that he brought me from. The many times that my life was spared. Whether I was in the middle of a shootout in Camden, New Jersey. Or in Newark in Orange Street. Or whether I was in the YMCA trying to take a scaffold off and fell off, you know, five uh, layers. And not a scratch. And I'm saying, wow, when you look at that, I mean, the Lord has looked at you with such love and compassion. And boy, has he been patient. Because there's days that I say, Father God, today I will not do this. And that's the day that I do it more. Today I'm going to do this. And that's the day that I do none of it. And yet he still looks at you with that love and compassion. If you've really made his compassion and his love your own, you will see others in the exact same way. Last quote for today. Christ's object lesson, page 197. It says, in this work... All the angels of heaven are ready to cooperate. Do you understand this? That if you're out there seeking for lost sheep, seeking for lost coins, the angels are ready to strengthen you and open the way and help you. They're ready to cooperate. All the resources of heaven are at the command of those who are seeking to save the lost. Angels will help you to reach the most careless and the most hardened. And when one is brought back to God, all of heaven is made glad. Seraphs and sheriffs touch their golden harps and sing praises to God. And the Lamb for their mercy and loving kindness to the children of man. Don't you understand that you don't have to do this alone? Parents, I know that it's hard to work with our children. I know that it's difficult. Maybe you're dealing with a husband or a wife who is not of the church. You have all of heaven in your corner desiring this and being willing and ready to help. And when you are victorious, they will rejoice. This past weekend after I left the Perry Church, I headed down to Orlando. One of my friends from childhood from Camden, New Jersey, he's, uh, he's in... Um, 
He's in Orlando, and we want to celebrate his 40th birthday. And then I saw on Facebook that Salt Ministries was doing a day of service on Sundays. I said, Melanie, I said, honey, I'm going to come back late on Sunday night because I want to just go hang out with them. I haven't been able to just see what they do too much because they live so far and I live all the way over here. And so I went with them and I noticed something. First thing that I noticed is that every homeless person that was coming, they were having prayers with them. Not only that, I don't know if you can see it on the background. I did a little zooming, but they're giving them shape-ups and and trimming beers and mustaches and, and, and bathing them and everything else. And, you know, they're feeding them and, and all of that. They have right here is where they're waiting for the shower trailers. They have a nice little trailer, which is right there. And they go in. They got their private shower, nice hot water. They clean them. I mean, they're not just feeding the homeless. When I used to uh, work in, in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, we would go once a month to a park, feed the homeless. Then we feel good about ourselves, left, and they're going to come back to the next month. That's not really making a difference. You're putting a a, a little band-aid on things, but here they are taking care of them. Not only are they feeding them and praying with them, giving them some of God, but they're also clothing them. They have a whole trailer with clothes that you donate by sizes and everything. When I volunteered, they put me in the trailer because I was hot and I needed something shaded and I, I was not ready for all of that. But anyhow, I'm in there in the trailer working with this young lady and, um, and, and so they have it all set up. And, you know, the homeless folk, they don't want much. They say, hey, you have one clean underwear, size 30 or large or small or medium. And they're telling sizes, they just take one. They're not asking for, you got a good pair of socks? Can I trade mine in? Do you wash them? Do you give them to others? I mean, they're not saying, give me like 10 shirts and 10 whatever. They're not advantageous at all. They're really just there in the most humblest way trying to do this. Now, they paired up with agencies from the community. And here you have, you know, Hope Health where they're doing screenings for HIV. They're giving them education. They also have group sections and they're inviting them to come and join them to do counseling, to work with some of those things. They pair up with Florida Health and they're doing hepatitis A because there's an outbreak in Florida right now, by the way. Consult your, your, your local physicians and everything else. There's an outbreak of hep A and so they're doing, you know, vaccines if, if you haven't kept up with them. So they're doing wonderful things. Then they're setting them up as well with uh, building their resumes and helping get jobs. They're not putting a band-aid or things. They're making a difference in people's life. They paired up with the Orlando Central Church and they use their facilities is there at the church because after all it's a fair that we pay all this money to just be here three hours on sabbath and that's it isn't it time that we do much more with this facility i mean why have it you know it's like me i have a mo- my motorcycle in my garage and i haven't driven it in six months i'd be i, I need to ride it i need to go in and-, and use it a little bit i mean how do you have something and not use it And so that was something that I got to witness there. They weren't trying to do it themselves. They paired up with the community, and they did it all. Here in church, you have some things to help you with your children. We have our church school from pre-K to high school. I mean, if your kids are not in in, in an Adventist school, why not? I mean, what they get exposed to in public school is a lot different than what they get exposed to in Christian school. Why not give an opportunity and a chance? 168 hours a week, only three hours here in church. You can't compete with the things of the world. We have our Sabbath school classes, which many of you don't show up for. We have our children's ministry. We got vacation Bible school coming up. We got flag camp in in July as well. I mean, be on the lookout. You have neighbors, grandchildren, children, bring them. Make them to be a part of this. Don't let money be an issue. Most of the stuff is free. And for the school, we'll work on it. Don't let it be. We're not going to turn a child away just because of a financial need. I mean, how much is the soul of one child worth? 
We will make it happen. Pathfinders who are not here today, they're at a competition at Camp Calaco right now. AY, men's ministry, women's ministry, you know how nice it would be to have our young ladies and our young men come out with our men and our women to the breakfast and the prayers and the devotions. And you have older ladies and older men teaching young ladies and young men the ways of God, good Christ-like examples. You don't have to do this alone. Not only are the angels of heaven ready to help you with the lost coin and the lost sheep, but your church family already has some things in place as well. How are we doing with giving account to God for that which he has entrusted us? So the parable of the sheep and the lost coin comes down to these things. Number one, even if it was just one, Jesus would have died all over again. And number two, we are called to also help in seeking that which was lost. If we're doing anything other than that, then we're not being good stewards of what the Lord has entrusted us with. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much. I know we went through quite a bit. I know that um, today has been a busy day with many, many things. Uh, But Lord... This is a love story. This is a story that is so amazing. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes could not comprehend how Jesus can be a lover of sinners. Why is it that he's letting them get near him or follow him or crowd around him when they have not even repented yet? Repentant faith and belief only comes from the Father above. After all, He is the author and the perfecter and the finisher of our faith. I can't repent unless I recognize my need of a Savior. I can't recognize my need of a Savior unless I need the Savior. So Father God, it is my prayer for all of us here. Whether we're lost sheep or lost coins, or maybe we have been found, we have a job to do. But we can't do this without you living in us. So give us the strength, the love, the compassion to see others through your eyes of love. And it is time for us to embrace and not reject. It is time for us to uplift and not put down. It is time for us to encourage and not discourage. It is time for us to seek out and not push away your children. Father God, please have mercy upon us. And forgive us for doing the opposite of you want what you want it done. Forgive us for criticizing and talking bad. Forgive us for thinking that we're better than others. Forgive us for criticizing sinners for coming to church. <laughs> They're sinners. Of course, this is where we need to be. And Father God, help us because we want you to work in us so that we are no longer sinners, but that we can be made perfect in your sight. May you bless us and keep us. It is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen.